for September 23rd, 2013. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 273. This is going to sound bad, but I miss MySpace. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm Matthew Rather, and uh, I'm here to host the final Overthinking It podcast. Uh, that's right. We're hanging it up. We're not going to do any more after this. This is the last episode. How do you feel about that, guys? Not bad. I feel, I like, feel like we had a, we had a good run. We've we accomplished everything out. we set out. We set out to. <laughs> We just uh, we were brainstorming before the show and realized we didn't have anything to talk about. <laughs> we, we couldn't come up with a topic. And this time, this time, that's going to stop us. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey. it's not. This is not the last Overthinking It podcast. It's no. the fifth anniversary no. podcast for the Overthinking It podcast. Um, Welcome to the first podcast of the rest of your life, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, our, our podcast. What are like milestones that you reach when you're five? I guess you enroll in kindergarten. I mean, maybe you start like learning to write the alphabet and stuff. Though you get I, potty trained. <laughs> you wear sunglasses. What? What? Like you have a picture yeah, of yourself. You? So our our uh, so our uh, podcast is finally uh, pooping in the toilet. Is that is that your point, yeah. Mark? You didn't get potty trained until you were five. Is that is that true? Am I remembering this incorrectly? I thought you were potty trained before you were five. You say that as if that's a normal thing, and I'm now just realizing that for the first time, and that this should be really awkward. I'll be, I'll be right back. <laughs> I have to call my parents and apologize. <laughs> oh, I thought he was going to change his diaper. No. Oh, that's no, a terrible No, he uses pull-ups. He's a big boy. <laughs> oh, sorry. Not to make jokes at your expense, Mark. That's not nice, because you were one of the original... Uh, podcasters, though, I mean, I, this needs to be qualified. The first Overthinking It podcast uh, was uh, Belinky and myself talking in, in uh, obsessional detail about the nominees for uh, short subject for animated and live it was action. like three hours long. Short subject. Well, we went like very deep into the plot of every Oscar nominated yeah. short film. And the in one thing we were sure about is the sort of West Side Story parody about our dueling falafel stands in the West Bank was not even a contention. Like that was just it. It's nice that they acknowledge that, but really. Really, it's between the other four. Like that was the one conclusion we could draw. No, do you remember that, that course- in, in 2008 they chose? Yeah, they chose the one that we hated. It was about like two. I, three- I didn't hate it. I just thought that it wasn't. It wasn't like a serious attempt to make like a. It was. It was like a. It was like a great, you know, Saturday Night Live digital short. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't feel like it was an Academy Award winning short film. Although I, I mean, I, it was funny if you like, you know, musical parodies and falafel. Um, but we, uh, so, uh, that was episode one, but back then the, the podcast was an over, uh, an occasional feature of overthinking it. We only went weekly with, um, with episode 13, which was the first in what has turned out to be a five year long un- uninterrupted stretch, um, of, of releasing an original podcast every week, including a bunch of, and then uh, in addition to that, a bunch of supplementary episodes. Uh, like, like back in 2008, we did, uh, and Jordan, you were, you were around for this, weren't you? We did, uh, last, uh, the last three episodes of The Shield. We did, like, recaps, essentially, though they weren't called that at the time. 
If I was around for that, I was not paying much attention oh, at the my. time. <laughs> I thought you, I thought you might have been a, a part of that. With uh, uh, anyway, sorry. No, no, I definitely remember those. Those because I, I remember talking about how I had to pay my cable bill in the middle of the episode because it, <laughs> it, it like cut out like during a really dramatic Vic Mackey pause, and I called them up and I paid my cable bill please, and came please. back on it. <laughs> Tell me. And the funny thing is, like, it's been so long since that podcast that, like, by now, like, Vic Mackey would have finished his mandatory three years with, with ICE and, like, have, like, already established himself in, like, another job in some police force in Texas. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's amazing. We should make that the question. What do you think Vic Mackey is up to these days? No, we, right? We've done this. We've yeah. done everything, guys. <laughs> Hashtag <laughs> Vic Mackey Freedom Day, man. We got on board with this. It's one of our fake holidays, like with Mr. Tea Party Day. <laughs> I like the spinoff where he's like a private eye now. This is, yeah. uh, yeah, black and white. This is day. why this is the last Overthinking It podcast. <laughs> of no. the rest of your life. <laughs> right. So, um, uh, but we went weekly with episode 13, which was called Crossing Sections Off the Map, which I, uh, I recall was a title that uh, came up in the podcast uh, because Fenzel said it. And it, was, uh, it had to do with my offending nearly every nationality, ethnic group, or world religion. Um, episode 13, by the way, is a NSFW podcast, one of the rare NSFW episodes before we decided that, that we were going to keep it PG-13 in order to, uh, to broaden... Our audience. So that was that was episode thirteen. And if you allow that that a year has exactly uh, fifty two weeks, which of course it doesn't. Um, but if you allow if you allow for that, then uh, fifty two times five uh, is is what two hundred sixty. Is a number is an integer of some sort. <laughs> is is two hundred sixty, <laughs> and uh, add thirteen to that to account for the the episodes when we went uh, before we went uh, we went weekly, and we are at episode two hundred seventy three, which is what you are listening to right now. So by uh, by math, this is the uh, this is the fifth anniversary. Next week, um, uh, the the actual anniversary date is September twenty ninth, two thousand eight. And uh, that's closer to next week's podcast. So that's the uh, that's the calendar anniversary. So we are uh, we're going to stretch it out into a into a two week celebration. So we um, we had a, a short lived series uh, series or a segment, I guess, on the podcast uh, called Picks. And you do you see this on a lot of podcasts, right? Especially like technology podcasts, where it's like, what's the hot app this week? Or like, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I guess they do it on like uh, on Bullseye or on some of the AV Club stuff where it's like, what are you watching or listening to this week? Um, we don't really do it anymore because it requires organization and and basically our method is just to hit record. But uh, let's bring it back for the fifth anniversary. Um, fifth anniversary uh, question of the week panel. Pick something. What uh, what is your pick? What is what is a thing? Um, an object or a uh, media property or a, a thing, a pick out there. <laughs> An abstract human emotion. <laughs> In the world that our, uh, our audience, our global audience of overthinkers, the overthinking it family, should be aware of. First in the alphabet drink, it's not Peter Fenzel. Uh, it's Matthew Belinke. 
This is a surprisingly difficult question. Sometimes if you remove all constraints, it just becomes uh, it becomes terrifying and paralyzing. Uh, I'm going to go with the, the... There's an ongoing Dark Horse series of Star Wars comics. Um, there are many Star Wars comics, but this this new one is kind of interesting. It, it goes back to the, to the old school, to the original trilogy, and tries to fill in the blanks between uh, what happens at the end of uh, A New Hope and the beginning of The Empire Strikes Back. And, I, I mean, on the one hand, it seems like very little has happened, but I guess the big thing is that um, we, we, we've now established Hoth as a base for the rebellion. And so that, like, you know, at the macro level, the entire ongoing series, of which we're up to number 11, you know, it's a monthly series, um, is about, um, like, finding a, a base for the rebellion, that they're floating around on, like, you know, a bunch of ships, and they need some place to establish a, a homeworld. For, for undefined reasons, it's like, it, it did occur to me reading it, like, why do they need a planets? Like, are there logistical or technical <laughs> reasons? Like, why, why aren't they just happy floating around in giant ships in the middle of space? where they can relocate um, in the event of an emergency really easily. Um, and so, it, it, but it is, uh, it's written by Brian Wood, who's, I, I can't rattle off his credits off the top of my head, but like, he's a big name in the comics industry. It's got pretty, pretty covers by Alex Ross. Um, and it is kind of cool to like, hear about like, what Darth Vader is up. And then uh, the, what, what I really like about it is like, Darth Vader is basically like, sleeping on the couch because he let the Death Star blow up. And that, like, literally, the the emperor is like, your punishment is you have to go build a new Death Star, and it's just a, it's basically just a pile of girders on the moon of Endor at this point. You know, it's like they haven't even really like gotten it started, and so he's basically just like a construction foreman, and he's like grizzled and, and, and bitter about it. He's right, like he's right. like just like like managing invoices and. Um, but it is, it's really cool. It's got some beautiful art and it's a fun story and it's good to see Han Solo up to his old smuggler tricks. Um, and so that, as ongoing series, Star Wars Episode 11, number 11 of Episode 1. Point, sorry, it would be, I guess it would be Episode 4.5, right? Huh. So Episode 4.5.11 on, uh, on comic book store shelves now. <laughs> I'm picturing this like very dark, very funny thing where Darth Vader is working in construction and kind of couch surfing, and all of his friends from Jedi College like kind of feel bad for him and want to help him out, but like also kind of don't really want him around their family or their children, and they're like, <laughs> yeah. it's like a lot of the slacker movies of the early 1990s, like. Uh... Well, like Richard Linklater's Slacker or like Reality Bites or something like that, right? It's about the promise of like, it's about how the promise of professional advancement was actually broken for Generation X, right? Yeah. Although, I mean, to, to be fair, it wasn't like, you know, the, that his company went belly up. It, it, it was like he honestly did sort of screw up the whole Death Star thing. I mean, to the extent that he was in charge, we've been over this before that like, it really wasn't <laughs> his Death Star to let get blown up. It's unclear, like, where he was in the chain of command, so that, like, I suppose, like, if he's the only survivor, a lot of that's going to be taken out on him, but, like, if Peter Cushing was still alive, Peter Cushing would be the one supervising the construction of the new Death Star, right? <laughs> I well, so. I mean, I feel like you don't make a new Death Star after the first one is blown up, because you've demonstrated some pretty problematic issues, right? Like, why... Well, I, mean, I mean, you make it better... But, but that's, I mean, what would That's not, throwing good not Death Stars after bad, you know? Like, what's. <laughs> I, thought, I thought the whole fear will keep them in line strategy was flawed from the beginning. I mean, we talked about this before, too, how, like, the main reason. about everything before. That's the theme of the podcast. <laughs> that, like, from now on, we're just going to talk about everything again. Yeah. 
Exactly. You were going to start rip. This is like the part in a marriage where you've told all your stories to each other, and then you're going to just you're going to have to start telling them in different ways or, or over again in separate like, ways. Like enough, like not to point it out. They're like, mm-hmm. yeah, I heard that three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> But not really. Really, we have all sorts of fresh new content because of the world. That's why we like to talk about pop culture, because it changes. Hey, speaking of fresh new content, Peter Fenzel, what's your pay? <laughs> so if you guys know me and you know what I've talked about before, see, the, the trick is to talk about the same thing, but to call it a different thing. And that way people think that it's a new thing, like how Miley Cyrus made a risky music video, and it's not the same as every other risky music video that everybody ever made going back to Evertime. Uh, so now I'm not recommending that you watch Wrecking Ball, although I hear that it's a decent song and I haven't heard it yet. No, but what I mean is that I am going to recommend an ambitious failure of a high concept action movie, uh, which I find generally is is a really an adventure action. Uh, they tend to be places to find discovery, and, and they're exciting because you don't know what's going to happen because in good movies, the same things tend to happen, whereas in bad movies, anything can happen. <laughs> um, so, Every Chronicles of Riddick movie is a Chronicles of Riddick movie in its own way, right? Exactly. And today's Chronicles of Riddick is called Bunraku. Uh, have any of you guys seen Bunraku? No. It's, it's, on, Netflix, it's on Netflix Instant. It is, is it about, is it it is, about puppetry? It is, you know, that is very observant. It is named after the traditional form of Japanese puppetry, which is, I think, the time of puppetry that's used in the Lion King, or inspired this famous stagecraft of the Lion King Broadway show, where the puppeteer is dressed in black and is standing behind a puppet who is about four feet tall in traditional bunraku and operating it with a combination of handwork and marionette, right? And uh, and the, the concept behind the movie is it starts out with a really interesting short film, which if it were by itself would be pretty decent, about the history of human conflict and how like human conflict is people come up with more ways of killing each other than they do of making love or doing anything else. And, and it, it's all in this aesthetic uh, paper-folding uh, style of, of computer animation. And it is a Josh Hartnett movie, which means it must be awesome. And it is a Josh Hartnett movie that was released officially in theaters, I believe, in 2012, late 2011. Uh, yeah, but, but it was made in 2010. So you know that it was, uh, it was on the shelf for a while, uh, which is how you, you can tell that because Josh Hartnett was in it. Basically, it's an action movie where it, it, the, the concept is it's an, it's an archetypical revenge action movie that takes place in a world constructed of computer animated paper mache and pseudo puppetry effects, right? Where it's like the characters sort of jump in and out of scenes. You cut from like one scene to another. Rooms uh, are revealed to have translucent walls. So people who are having long distance conversations are actually right next to each other. They're sort of like you know kind of diegetic uh use of of kind of stagecraft uh to to sort of reflect this and it's about violence in human theater uh now the the, it is it is widely reviled uh it has a (laughs) it is is on netflix instant but has a rotten tomatoes rating of about 18 percent uh and this is generally because the action sequences don't really have a lot of actual excitement in them uh, because they're choreographed in a way in which like the impacts and the ways the characters actually punch each other um they they, like barely touch each other and it's all very fluid almost as if the characters were puppets i can sort of see what they were going for but the result is that the fight scenes have no tension and the characters of course are all archetypes because they're supposed to be based on puppets 
puppets, so they don't have really names uh, or motivations <laughs> or any of that stuff. There's a lot of really borderline offensive things about Japanese people in this movie, uh, which are meant as praise, but really come across as kind of childish. So Because it's like, Josh Hartnett plays a Western-style drifter who also comes across as kind of a 19th century fisticuffs guy who teams up with a samurai out for revenge uh, as they try to take down Ron Perlman, who is a, a woodcutter gang boss <laughs> in a dystopian future. Uh, of course. They can bury the lead. That I know, Ron I'm sorry. So, yes. <laughs> so the, the lead is Ron Perlman plays a woodcutting gang boss who rules a, a region of unknown size in the dystopian puppet future. There you go. Uh, <laughs> That's how you you sell a movie. From now on, you sell movies just like that. He's, he's assisted by Kevin McKidd of Rome fame uh, and also of Brave and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and, and Demi Moore is in this. It was the first movie that Demi Moore and Woody Harrelson made together after Indecent Proposal. Um, and they actually have a really touching scene in this movie where it's the only scene in the movie where they actually make eye contact as characters because they're not in any scenes together, though they're in the same movie. Uh, and it, it's kind of, uh, it breaks the fourth wall a little bit. But anyway, it's interesting. It's lit a lot like the old Dick Tracy movie with Warren Beatty, so it's kind of cool and stylish in that way. Uh, I feel like it fails as an action movie, but there's a lot of heart in it and a lot of interesting... I think it has interesting things to say about action and about violence, and if, if anyone else had seen this movie, we would go into it, but that's just going to be my pick for this week. And Actually, we I mean, Dick it. Tracy has a lot of interesting things to say about action, about... Speaking of an ambitious failure of a movie, right? I don't... Is that movie a failure? That movie has... Yeah, I, I, well, maybe a commercial failure, but I... I don't know. I, I, I really like Dick Tracy. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool when I saw it. I, we were younger, obviously, but when weren't we? <laughs> That's, this is the first podcast of the rest of your life, Matt. So <laughs> never be younger than you are now doing this. <laughs> I'm looking at the IMDb page for uh, Bunraku, and it's yeah. uh, apparently the number two billed actor uh, is named Gact. Yes, he's a Japanese pop star. Okay. His name is Gact. Yeah, I don't know. He's not a very good actor in this movie, but he does sing things in 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 Japan, I believe. How long do we believe this movie sat on the shelves for before? It, At it, least it, like a year and a half. Uh, like like since Josh Hartnett was popular enough to be cast as the lead of an action movie. Yeah. So around the time, like homicide. So. Let me ask you a, 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 only a moderately related question. Do you remember after Marlon Brando died and there was the news that his very last part was he was the voice of some sort of female bug in an animated film? <laughs> I think uh, they... Do you remember this? I, I'll, I'll I remember, look into this and report back later in the podcast. <laughs> okay, well, while you uh, do that research, Mark Lee, you're next. Speaking of making old content new again, um, in episode 13, Crossing Sectors Off the Map, my pick was... Videos from Wing Commander 3, Heart of the Tiger. <laughs> I don't know who actually out there remembers oh, the, the space rem- opera, <laughs> space simulator saga of Wing Commander, right? Pete is always with me. I know Pete. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pete totally and I are, are Wing Commander uh, brethren. I think you might even say we are wing men in, to each other oh. in the Wing Commander saga. Breaking okay. attack. Breaking so, attack. So here's the thing. In 2008, it was noteworthy enough that I found all the collection of the full motion video. Uh, sequences from Wing Commander 300 Tiger, which starred Mark Hamill, by the way. Let's not forget that. Um, it was notable enough that I found a collection of those that I was like, hey, you guys, check this out. I found all the Wing Commander videos, and I posted it in there. Now they're obviously all on YouTube, so this is less notable of a thing. But I'm going to still go back to Wing Commander because I love talking about Wing Commander and bringing up every opportunity that I can and let you know that the game itself is very easily downloadable and playable on a modern computer thanks to the folks at Good Old Games, GOG.com. 
Uh, it is purchasable for the insanely low price of $5.99. Okay? Now, take yourself back to 1994, 20 years ago, when Wing Commander 3 first came out. And you had to shell out, like, I don't know, 50 bucks to buy the game on, like, uh, like three or four CD-ROMs or something like that. And, <laughs> like, finely tune your, uh, your MS-DOS computer so that it, you, you know, you'd, like, free up enough uh, memory under 640K to play a thing. That might be an entire different, de- different generation of video games. I might project, but you get the idea. This is a different generation of video games. Um, but so aside from looking for the excuse to talk about Wing Commander 3 or any Wing Commander game at all, for that matter, um, I did also want to use this opportunity to for us to pause and think about the evolution of video games, right? Because last episode, we talked about Grand Theft Auto V. Incredibly sophisticated graphics, near photorealistic, huge sprawling world with which to explore, Right. 20 years ago, Wing Commander 3 came out. Um, and that, at the time, was completely cutting edge with its 3D, what we would call sort of photorealistic 3D graphics and full motion video starring the likes of uh, Mark Hamill and Malcolm McDowell and John Rice davies and former porn star Ginger Lynn Allen. Because um, that was 20 years ago, right? Now, think 20 years prior to 1994, right? The mid-70s? What games came out in the mid-70s? We're talking about Pong. Pong. At this time, right, yeah. Right, so, I mean, like... So first of all, like the fact that Wing Commander Three is almost twenty years old now makes me feel really old. Um, but it was also kind of staggering to think about these two uh, twenty-year leaps in video game evolution uh, and what the next twenty years might bring. So Wing Commander Three, I mean, Heart of the Tiger, play it. It's suitable to think that it's also was uh, you know Hiroshi Yamauchi died this week, oh, right? Right, the, right. The, the guy who made Nintendo what it is, you know, more than anybody else. Uh, and just think, like when Pong came out, he was in his forties. So, uh, you know, gather gather ye mushrooms while ye may, right? Like, uh, <laughs> uh, Jordan Stokes, you're next in the alphabet. So I'm going to recommend Pong. <laughs> <laughs> it's no, it's serious fun. Like, in all seriousness, <laughs> Pong is awesome. Yeah. Um, seriously, so... When I when I read, uh, mostly I read on the subway, and I read things on my my electronic device, and therefore I read whatever I can download from Project Gutenberg for free because I'm kind of cheap that way. Um, and I've been reading a lot of sort of light fiction from the early decades of the 20th century because that's the only stuff that is uh, public domain. And last couple of weeks I've been reading pre-Tolkien high fantasy. Um, and this is, a, this is a very particular genre to get into. Because if you think about fantasy authors today, right, they're not considered the most, uh, the most socially apt or the most uh, non-obsessive of people, right? They're, they're a bunch of screaming weirdos, by and large. But they're working within a genre, right? Like, being a fantasy author for them is something that you can learn about as a child and grow up and become. Whereas if you're somebody who is writing in, like, the 20s and 30s, you are a giant weirdo beyond the scope of weirdos. <laughs> so the, the particular novel that I'd like to recommend, kind of, that, that I'm enjoying the heck out of, I do not know that I can really recommend it for human consumption, is called The Worm Ouroboros. Uh, it's by a guy named... Wait, the, the Worm Ouroboros or The Room or What did you... I didn't quite catch that. 
Well, the ROM, the ROM Ouroboros. Yeah. Uh, Downloaded at goodoldouroboros.com. The the worm Ouroboros. And the guy, uh, he was a British civil servant who eventually retired to work on his writing full time and not only decided to write a sort of tale of high chivalry set on the planet Mercury, but decided, and why not, to write it in a recreation of 16th century English. (laughs) <laughs> Which is apparently, according to like the scholarship on this book, like painstakingly accurate. It's really, really strange. And uh, even if you don't get through it, which like again, most most people, even people who are like you know well educated, probably will not. Um, it is a wonderful, wonderful place to just dip your toes into. And I've, I've like I've tried to read this book a whole bunch of times. I tried to read it when I was in high school and reading all the fantasy that I could, and I did not get past the first page at that point. And uh, at this point, I am like I am absolutely eating it up. So maybe it'll work for you. And if it does, it's great. And if not, like you got to check it out just to see how strange it is. So it's kind of interesting because if it's 16th century English, is it sort of pre-Shakespearean English? So it's like pre-Tolkien fantasy and pre-Shakespeare English. It's like Something we can't like make that. it too good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, maybe 16th is the wrong century. Jacobian is the word that was, uh, oh. that was to mm-hmm. describe it. Someone with a better grasp of history, tell me what that is. Early 17th century. Okay, there you go. Yep, yep. Post-Shakespeare. Yep. Which is maybe even stranger because a lot of people have read straight Shakespeare, right? Whereas, like, not that many people are reading the early 17th century literature that follows. The Jacobean tragedies? No, because they're not nearly as good. But what they are is extraordinarily bloody. Mm-hmm. Yes, and also because of the large banning of books and whatnot and entertainments that happened in the uh, early to mid 1600s in England, right? So, or mid, I guess. The rise of the Puritans put a real damper on things. Uh, <laughs> but when I, say, uh, I still hold a grudge, <laughs> but I can—I mean, I can wholeheartedly recommend um, the the second half of the second the seventeenth century if you're into English drama, uh, right? Like, or adultery, yeah. <laughs> or cuckoldry, uh, sorry, cuckoldry. <laughs> like uh, Witcherly's *The Country Wife*. Um, uh, you know, uh, for one of the most rancid, cynical, uh, you know, portraits of uh, portraits of marriage and society and, and uh, you know, social mores and whatnot, uh, all leading up to Congreve's The Way of the World in 1700, which is which is, for my money, one of the best plays in English. I love that. I think that's a like a remarkable piece of writing. Um, but yeah, I know the thing about uh, about the 17th century, like adultery comedies is that all of the characters have names that tell you exactly what it is that they're going to do, right? It's like like, like characters... Mrs. 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 Wantwood. Right, right. <laughs> Lord Horner. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like if the characters in Grand Theft Auto is like, you know, Tony Jack Carr and so yeah. forth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love Horner. The Sopranos and Christopher Heroine is my favorite character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, man. oh, by the way, if we're, as long as we're talking about 17th century literature, I just want to warn people. When you see that copy of Pilgrim's Progress at a yard sale, you're gonna think it's you're gonna think it's gonna make you look smart to have it on your bookshelf. No one cares. No one cares about Pilgrim's Progress. Don't buy Pilgrim's Progress. It's not very good. Uh, nobody will care that you own it, even if it's only a dollar. There you go. That's my that's my 17th century literary tip of the day. Can we start a new overthinking it feature called overthinking it 17th century literary tips? And can we do it once and then again in five years? <laughs> No. Uh, so speaking of uh, the unsurpassed and unsurpassable greatest work of literature in any language, 
Which is also from the tie. Yes, 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 I know. <laughs> no, uh, I, I'm actually, my pick is not going to be Paradise Lost. Though doing this Ender's Game book club makes me think uh, we should do a Paradise Lost book club. Oh, my God. I'm overthinking Dear it. God. That would be great fun for me. Um, <laughs> no, I, I want to recommend something to you that I... Um, uh, <laughs> I guess that's the kind of guiding principle of our podcast, though. Uh, I, I want to, to recommend something to you that I like um, the, uh, unironically, that, that actually, like, I think is pretty effing awesome. Uh, and and, uh, and it's, it's, um, it's a, a record by a, a singer named Ani DeFranco, who... <laughs> Guys, I only snicker just because I've heard you talk about Ani DeFranco so many times. So. Guys, stop it. I'm being serious now. Um, no, uh, uh, Ani DeFranco released... When, when we were, you know, 25 or, or thereabouts, we were uh, starting overthinking it. When Ani DeFranco was 25, she had, she had started her own label uh, already. And when she was 25, she, she was releasing a, uh, a record called Not a Pretty Girl on it. That was the first Ani DeFranco uh, record I, I ever listened to. And though I had already, I had already gotten into the, uh, the female singer-songwriters of the early 90s through Tori Amos, who was a kind of gateway drug of a female singer-songwriter uh, that kind of gets you into a lot of the kind of more challenging, uh, more challenging material. Yeah, but she, she's like a whippets of a gateway drug. <laughs> <laughs> she's not like a cool gateway drug. She's like Robot Dustin. But it's <laughs> legal to buy her in stores. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, here out on the here out on the bleeding edge, it's legal to buy uh, to buy you know the traditional gateway drug in stores. In fact, not uh, Oxycontin. What? <laughs> Pseudoephedrine. Um, no, uh, not not uh, two hundred feet from where I'm sitting is a uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken that has been converted into a pot dispensary. Uh, and, You've and, talked about this on the podcast. <laughs> We've talked about everything on the podcast no, no, no. before. Tell it, talk about it. Probably <laughs> so that's your recommendation: is pot and fried chicken. Yeah. <laughs> is is pot and Ani DeFranco? Um, I'd like Don't to recommend pot. Don't, kids stay in school. <laughs> I'd like to. I'd like to. Um, yeah, no, no. Be somebody or be somebody's fool. Uh, I'd, I'd like to recommend, especially a, a song that that I actually like, unironically called "Light of Some Kind," which is like a, a howl of of despair from a tortured soul uh, that like super spoke to me when I was fifteen. Um, and it's just, uh, I mean, like, uh, I, I don't know. I have nothing but I have nothing but love for Ani DeFranco. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a link to that in the show notes. And by the way, you'll be uh, um, in in very uh, un Ani DeFranco like way. You'll be supporting the evil capitalist machine of overthinking it uh, with a little uh, with a little referral fee when you click through to Amazon from our uh, Ani DeFranco link on the thing. Not a pretty girl from from 1995. So I just want to revisit quickly our picks from episode 13. Mark had said, uh, Mark had said his already. Pete, you wanna uh, you wanna go into yours a little bit? It was called, I think, Boston Newsnet or something like that. Wait, what was my pick from? 19- I don't even remember what my pick was from five years ago. Uh, it was uh, it was a website. 
and it was called uh, uh, Boston Newsnet at www.bostonnewsnet.com. Oh, yeah, everybody who's who does that is still funny. They don't do that anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was great. I, I guess what actually, you know what? It's it's J.R. Strauss's birthday today, and he was he was the anchor of Boston Newsnet. So happy birthday, J.R. Strauss. Oh well, there you go. Uh, yeah, definitely. I don't know. I don't know if there's any, what other projects are the is that crew doing. I know that like it's if they wanted to get back the gang back together, it would be like the Muppets Take Manhattan, where you would have to like find everybody off doing their own projects, and like there'd be a musical montage where everybody would have to get together and do it. Animation um, from God. Yeah, I mean it, that that was that. I think the big takeaway from that is that I think it was a great show while it lasted, but it showed and it was a demonstration that like you have the technology available to you to readily edit and publish video. And now we all have that on our phones. I mean, back then it was still becoming available, but even then a little bit slowly, you had to know somebody who knew like final cut or whatever. Um, and had some equipment, but it was never really the technology that was the barrier to getting that sort of thing done. It was the organization, right? It was like putting the people together, dedicating the time. That's sort of like what this podcast is, is successful at too, is at least like showing up. Right, like it's it's uh, the first part of making something awesome is showing up. Jordan laughs because he's still working on his risotto. Like we talked about that before too. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. As yeah, soon yeah. as we figure out what the second part of it is, this podcast will improve so much. <laughs> uh, I think and- for risotto, at least, is adding like three sticks of butter, right? Yeah, that, that's it for most. That makes cuisine. it awesome. No, you have to yeah, you have to cook it. <laughs> you cook it on a low simmer and just you know keep stirring. Don't let it quit. Quit podcasting, Jordan, or at least podcast right next to the risotto pot because for the whole half hour that that hand should not stop moving. Right with the the wooden I spoon. I mean, I hope you all understand out there in Radio Land that every week that I'm not on the podcast, it's because I'm making risottos. <laughs> <laughs> And also, by the way, every minute of your life that you don't spend working on the last episode of your Cowboy Bebop series, you're also <laughs> yeah. making an additional risotto. Uh, and right. Most, yeah. No, yeah. no. It's only been four years since I've been promising to finish that. <laughs> I still get emails about it on like a monthly basis. I'm beginning to think that stirring risotto is a metaphor for something. <laughs> oh, dear. There's no good end to that story. Uh, and mine was, uh, do you guys remember Hello, My Future Girlfriend? Oh, yeah. Never forget Hello, My Future Girlfriend. <laughs> I thought that thing, I don't know, I thought that thing was awesome. Not, uh, not even because I, I wanted to mock the poor kid uh, at all. I just thought, I don't know, that, that spoke to me. There's like, a, there's like a wounded, you know, Hello, My Future Girlfriend kid within all of us. And I thought, like, Hello, My Future Girlfriend spoke to that. Uh, spoke to that thing, that thing on the internet, which now seems to be with the like four chanization of internet discourse, I think seems to be, uh, seems to be gone, right? Like where the, where, back when the internet was a place to be like, you know, vulnerable and broken and, uh, uh, do it, do embarrassing things right now. It's a, now it's a place to, I don't know. Um, Wait, do they do they not have LiveJournal anymore? <laughs> well, here's the thing. I was about to mention LiveJournal, right? LiveJournal back in the day, if I recall correctly, was like sort of, you know, spilling your guts on the internet and being vulnerable and young and all those sorts of things. And now on the internet being, uh, uh, like, there's no live, LiveJournal is now, is now Facebook, right? And Facebook is not about being vulnerable. It is all about, like, projecting yourself in, like, the most positive way possible. Yeah, we're, we're like, about creating a brand. Yeah, exactly, which is the worst effing thing in the world. Like, Facebook is about, like, doing existential public relations for this BS version of yourself that doesn't actually exist. Uh, 
right and left. Like, that's what I would like to see. I, you know what I would like to see on Facebook? A little more Ani DeFranco. You know what I mean? Mm. A little more like, uh, rather than like, hey, guys, I just booked a job. Like, I guess I, I have a lot of actor friends on, on, on Facebook who are like, hey, guys, I, you know, like, hey, I'm, I'm on vacation in Hong Kong about to get a foot rub and go on a jog around the, around the thing after winning salesman of the year at my, you know, a little less success theater and a little more like my Facebook updates would be like, like, uh, guys, I just had a, like, I just like really suffered a, like a really long, dark night of the soul. That was actually like more of a long, dark month and a half of the soul about like what the hell I'm doing in my career. And this website that we all work so hard on doesn't make any money. And, uh, you know, like what, what's going on with me. And I feel like I'll never be able to buy a house and, and like, you know, afford the American dream that I was promised. And like, uh, what the hell, what the hell is wrong with me in my life? And I, you know, I feel like, uh, I feel like an epic fail you know come on guys you know like how about some your support your job's a joke your job's <laughs> a joke you're broke your love life boa and so on <laughs> right like a little more of that on facebook and a little less like food blogging please hey matt matt i'll be there man do you do you think that you, you said that it's a, a a BS version of yourself that you promote on Facebook, right? You being well, the sort of the generalized. Yeah, I, I don't really promote. I I, I yeah. click no when anyone tags a photo of me on on that <laughs> damn thing. That's how I do Facebook. But you say that that version is fake, and I'm curious. Do you think that the the live journal blog persona, which is basically you are the donkey, right? <laughs> um, is, is, <laughs> Is real in a way that the Facebook persona is fake, or is that equally constructed? No, of course. I mean, of course, it's equally constructed, right? Like at at a certain point, it's turtles all the way down as far as like authenticity, uh, right? Of whatever whatever version of yourself you sort of promote, or you you know you perform online, right? It's all performative speech at or a certain offline, point. Offline, really. I mean, let's let's be honest. The idea of creating a persona for yourself, we didn't need the internet to, to uh, enable us to do that. Right, right. It's just easier to unfollow the annoyingly like uh, success theory people in real life because you just actually like turn left when they go right and stop following them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> How many people I do, do you follow? Is... I follow at least four people at a time. I pick a group and I just walk behind them by about two hundred feet. Uh, that way, I can have the most followings. In, sure, in sure. Way, this is going to seem bad, but I, I kind of miss MySpace in some ways because like you think back to like what a MySpace page looked like and it's most sort of baroque gilded over the top iteration that like you know the you would open it up and, and it would just be sparkles layered upon sparkles and it but and I'm not saying that like that was the design that I missed but just the idea that it could be so heavily customized that like your MySpace page you could dress it up like the like the back of your locker in junior high you know and really make it something that reflected you as opposed to filling in these predefined boxes on Facebook mm-hmm. it's all very regimented and there's there's not you can't really get creative with a Facebook page, you know what I mean? Well, right, yeah, right. you don't. I mean, well, you can with a page, right? Like I think for like if you buy the premium version or something like that, <laughs> you can like do a page wrap with your like your brand's marketing. So like Nike's Facebook page, you know, doesn't look like uh your Facebook profile, you know, it looks like this uh it looks like this this uh you know, unique bespoke thing, right? But we can't all we can't all have that. I mean, 5 years ago when we started this was GeoCities still a thing? I believe you know? it was. Yeah, right. And yeah. like, can, can I can I actually rant on something a little bit related to this too? Something that I miss about this. Could I stop is, you? 
Uh, no, you have no power here. <laughs> no, you have all the power in the world if you want it. But, I mean, Matt, you probably remember this from back, because it was back like 10 years ago. Uh, I, my first cell phone, all right? The first cell phone I ever had, which, well, no, the first cell phone was a Nokia, and I lost it in like two weeks. But the second cell phone that I had uh, was a Samsung, and I, I had this wonderful feature that I got to use where I could compose and program my own ringtones. Right, like, and you could you could like have quarter notes and half notes, and like it, it had a chromatic scale, and you could. It's like Mario Paint. Exactly, exactly. And so, like, I had this. I spent like an hour one day, uh, and I think I think Matt, you might have been there, and I know that my buddy Raf was there because we were just talking about this this weekend, uh, composing a version of the theme to the Last of the Mohicans on my cell phone <laughs> to play as my ringtone, which goes like it went like da 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 da. Just stay alive, and I'll answer the phone. Just keep ringing. Just keep ringing. I will answer you, no matter how long it takes. Uh, I just got to finish playing this hilarious slot machine game that this phone has. Um, but yeah, and like, here's the thing. I, maybe I can do that on my phone now. I don't even know how to change the ringtone on my phone now, let alone program my own ringtone of any song I want, right? Like, I guess I could probably, like, buy a Little Wayne song and make it, but like... Guys, guys it's just real briefly, I'm flashing back to the year 2004 when I had my first cell phone, and I was able to program a ringtone in it, too. And you know what I programmed? What? Um, 50 cents PIMP. Dude, dude. <laughs> Sorry, continue. So wait, wait, which part is that? Like the the like the base part of PIMP? Like what part of PIMP is that? Uh, it was, I think uh, it was some part of the instrumental loop thing. I yeah, guess. exactly. I like it's not the melody; it's like the the backing track or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Maybe you can do that now. But I mean, where's the, the, the things are over designed? We're not allowed to be messy in these constructed environments, and it gets kind of frustrating. Well, right, like, and and I think of it like it's it's sort of the garage bandization, right? Like it allows more people to produce mediocre. And by garage band, by the way, I mean you know Apple's garage band, not. Uh, actually having a band in your garage and, you know, playing with your friends and sucking really bad and having a good time because that's awesome and everybody should do that. And That would involve people loving you for your faults, which is not something that Facebook lets you do. Right. right? Exactly. <laughs> There's no dislike button on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> No, you know what Facebook needs is not a like button, but a love you anyway button. Uh, <laughs> right. You know? right. Like, That's pretty good. An unconditional acceptance button. Right. You know, <laughs> no, no, right? Like the, the, the cassette tape single you cut with your, with your band in your garage sucks, but I love you anyway, and good on you right. for doing it. You know? So there's like, there's like a like button, and then there's just like an acknowledge button, which is like, <laughs> I, I read this. And I'm going to keep my opinions to myself. Uh, uh, I had someone put one of those god-awful chain Facebook messages, a friend of mine from grad school, right? Like, you know, hey, everybody, uh, I'm writing this status uh, because I want you to know that I actually read and listen to you and, like, follow you on Facebook. Uh, and I really care about, about what you say. If you care about what I say, copy and paste this status and, and post it as a status update. Uh, and I'm going to be watching. And, and taking note of who actually does this and, and you know, who doesn't and see who my real friends are, essentially. I mean, it's this, like, extraordinarily manipulative ploy chain letter uh, thing. Oh, man. Um, 
Yeah, the garage bandization of uh, of this stuff, right? Like, you know, you can, yeah, you can tart up your your music with like pitch correction and a bunch of like pre built loops that sound pretty good because they're playing. Uh, they're playing. They're being played by musicians who actually spent like you know dozens and and de- dozens of years and decades you know sucking on their instruments and getting better you know inch by agonizing inch until they were pretty awesome, right? Like and so so that like the first you know the first track you drop that you can put up on iTunes is a ninety nine cent single, you know, will sound like. Uh, uh, will sound like every other mediocre goddamn thing out there, but you know, I don't know. Where's the, where's it? Where's it? Where are the things that actually legitimately suck? You know, like it's- uh, Bun Raku, Bun Raku. <laughs> it's everything we're talking about and more. I don't know, right? Like, do do you feel, uh, I, Jordan, you're a, a, a serious uh, music theorist, like what, or musicology theorist? Like, what do you what what do you think of of these tools that allow everybody to be mediocre? I feel like there's a little bit of a uh, get off my lawnness in in what you're saying that I'm uh no. I want to push back against. <laughs> no. Because like <laughs> rather no. I mean it's it's not that long ago geologically speaking since people were saying that the invention of the written word was meaning that like that anybody could just like read a poem. write down what they want. You don't need to attend the Sorbonne. Or, or like, yeah, or be a priest, to, right? More, more to the point, right? Like, you don't need like decades of rigorous theological indoctrination in order to use the written word. Well, no, no, earlier than that. I mean, the invention of the written word, right? I'm talking about like when. Oh, sorry, um, I was thinking of the printing press. I guess. Yeah, when when people stopped just memorizing all of literature, like people were really annoyed about that, and for good reason. Like, I can't memorize the Odyssey. Can any of you? None of you have done that. I feel perfectly confident. Uh, to, be, to be fair, none of us have really tried, right? I mean, or ha- have, have I mean, If you've memorized Wing Commander 3, Heart of the Tiger, does that count? <laughs> they made an app for it. I could definitely do it. I'm pretty sure that, like, I pretty sure, I think the only full-length work of art that I've memorized end-to-end, and I, it would be difficult to recall it, but I think given a, a couple weeks' practice, I could dredge it up, is the movie The Little Mermaid, which I think I could recite. <laughs> Uh, King Triton must be in a friendly type mood. King Triton, why? Leader of the Mer people, that surely every no, 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 wait. It's a fine day in a following sea. Like, yes. Uh, it's a, <laughs> yeah, fine day in a following sea. Wait, wait, wait. Don't so, you have uh, to uh, begin by singing Fathoms Below? <laughs> and then they proceeded to recite the entire Little Mermaid. <laughs> line by line, song by song. <laughs> <laughs> and so oh. the overthinking podcast did come at last. <laughs> <laughs> Not with a bang, <laughs> but a sha la 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 my oh my. The British. <laughs> no, it, would anyway. be, it, would, it would be the whole chorus of Merman being like, "Now we can walk. Now we can." <laughs> no, but where not. where I'm uh where I'm where, where I was no, going with saying, I don't want to don't want to. Uh, threadjack this, but like, how do you think the economy of Denmark changes after relations with the mermen are opened up? <laughs> 
Uh, well, let's, let's <laughs> so one of the so it seems to me like the biggest economic factor with the Denmarkians, the Danish as they're often called, not the Denmark, the the biz Denmarkians, <laughs> Danish, the mermaids would be the specialization of labor, right? Like so, there are certain things that it's easier to produce on land, and there are certain things that it's easier to produce underwater, <laughs> such as giant castles or musical instruments, I suppose. right? Or yeah. fish, which puts yeah. a real weird tenor on it, right? Like, <laughs> I think and also the gadmarkers hamburgers, right? Wait, what was that last part, Matt? They just flood the market with ambergris, right? <laughs> well, that, here's like, the thing. Here's a, here's a serious question. If there were, in fact, great economic advantages to industrial production underneath the ocean, don't you think there would be a city under the ocean that was producing things industrially? <laughs> So I mean, maybe this is a little bit anthropocentric. For this is a little bit anthrocentric for our mermaid podcast. No, no, I think I think the problem with that is that all of the uh, the reasons why you would not want to have a city under the ocean is because it's super expensive to do that. If you could have a city under the ocean for free, then suddenly all of those like uh, negative consequences go away, and having like a a I don't know. Uh, a power plant powered by deep sea tides is yeah. much more effective than it would have been. Or just a nuclear power plant cooled by the ocean that just spouts radiation yeah. to the deep sea where it doesn't hurt human beings. I don't know. Well, here we have we have undersea workers now. We can just like drill for oil much more safely than we did, you know, with like freaking like you know deep water horizon and you know the, the Gulf oil. Yeah, if we had had a few mermen that could go down there and plug that leak, it would have yeah. the Gulf would be a lot better off nowadays. Oh, we me, are the roughnecks of Triton. <laughs> Great father who sent us to drill, drill, drill. <laughs> what a, what a, ben Affleck. What a, Bruce Willis. What is happening? What I can't wait for, of course, is when they need to send those mare roughnecks up into space to blow up the asteroid, right? <laughs> It's uh, yeah. As hard as it is to launch a spaceship, it's harder still to launch a spaceship full of water. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was Star Trek Four, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's like a major plot play right there. Yeah, it's, seriously. Oh man, I can't. I, well, yeah, I'm definitely I mean, imagining like if our entire literary culture were made by mer people, there'd be a lot of interesting stories. I feel the dreams would be interesting. Like, what would their sport? Did they, it would probably be blitzball, right? Like it was like, <laughs> wow. Oh, <laughs> uh, we're just amalgamating everything that's happened in the last five years. Right, right. Actually, here's the thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on the other side of the equation and be if you befriend the mermen, isn't one of the conditions of that alliance that you got to stop eating seafood? Because you're basically eating all the subjects of King Triton, and that once you realize they are sort of sentient uh, beings that like can have conversations with with you know if you can only speak their fishy language, don't you have to like stop fishing? Well, well no, I mean, the, 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 and like as actually as a follow up question, right? Like, isn't Les Poissons after you've been asked to make this huge investment of you know I don't know of uh, of identification and care in uh, in Sebastian, right? Like, isn't that song terrifying? Isn't it meant to be? I I don't know. It's, it's supposed to be comic relief. It's yeah, interesting. It's, it's like, played pretty much how for are laughs. Children supposed right? to react to that. I think it's part of the movie where you're accelerating and you're raising the stakes and you're putting the, the characters in jeopardy, right? Like, I think it's it's supposed to be scary. 
right. mean, yeah, like, in, in a funny kind of way, but there, yeah. you know, is, is the evil dead scary, even though it's also funny? Like, yeah. Right. I, I guess is, I mean, and, and what about the French as like an object of ridicule? I mean, isn't that kind of a, I don't know. Isn't that sort of a straw man, uh, uh, ethnic, well, ethnic slur? you know, if you take away lobsters as a group to feel superior to, then you're left with only so many targets. What are you going to do? <laughs> I would like to point out, by the way, that like the situation with King Triton's dominion over the sea creatures, which would be problematic in terms of trade with merfolk, uh, is, is it actually is analogous to the, the forest laws that were put in place by the Norman conquerors of England in the, in the 11th century, right? Where all of a sudden the king owns all of the deer, Right, all of the all of the creatures, the noble creatures of the forest, belong to the king, and the various Anglo-Saxon people who would hunt the deer and whatnot, and the wild boar, they wouldn't be able to hunt those things for food anymore because they belong to this monarch, and that becomes like a pretty charged cultural symbol. It shows up in most uh, Robin Hood adaptations, right, or like a lot of Robin Hood adaptations, where there's some poor person who killed a deer, like, and they shot the king's deer in the king's forest with an arrow, and now they're going to be hanged because they broke the forest law, right? Like, and I think I think that like our contemporary culture comes down pretty strongly against this sort of this sort of thing. I think the problem is less that King Triton is underwater and more that he's a monarch, right? Like that's, it's difficult to deal with absolute monarchs when you're talking about systems of legitimacy and free trade. So there, he'd probably have to call a parliament at some point to like try to settle some yeah. of these issues. I don't know. Although that's also that's also very weird because when you think of a magical fantasy kingdom, parliament isn't the word that jumps to mind, right? <laughs> Unless they've followed immediately by funkadelic. <laughs> right. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> they do have um what's that song? Aqua Boogie, right? <laughs> <laughs> so Jordan, what what were you saying about how I'm just being an old fuddy duddy about my uh complaints about the the creeping mediocrity of garage bandization of, of these kids today and how they should get off my lawn? Right. I, I would say that um, that that any new technology breeds a certain kind of mediocrity, which is terrible and ought to be like mocked and lamented and so on. But technology also breeds creativity and uh, and virtuosity. So um, there is someone out there who will use the technology of GarageBand, not necessarily the way it was meant to be used, but to do something wonderful. And, you know, we ought to sort of keep our eyes open for that, rather than uh, lamenting the fact that it's so much easier for people to to be mediocre now. Because it was easy for them to be mediocre before. It wasn't thrown in your face so much. But, like, I don't know. There were... Okay, so let's use this podcast, right? I mean, this is our navel-gazing episode, right? So I'm sure somewhere out there... This has been been like a serious podcast about the little... about the political economy of the Little Mermaid. Uh, You know, (laughs) sorry. You round up all of the deaf mutes and you trade their voices for various powers. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, this this podcast, right? Um, Some Somewhere out there is like an old-time radio person who's like, these kids with these internets and these podcasts podcast you know then with no you know fcc broadcast restrictions they can say whatever the hell they want you know back in my day radio was a craft blah 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 right and so but to that person there is someone else right the previous generation is like back in our day we didn't have any radio we just had to stand on a street corner and talk and you know pretend yeah. our voice was to that shouting through a megaphone about you know about, about the gold standards of putting fluoride in our drinking water <laughs> Back in I love the idea that does radio really not predate fluoridization of drinking water? <laughs> well, that guy was crazy, you have to remember. 
enough. Back in my day, we didn't have these fancy plastic megaphones. We had stone masks that we used in the amphitheater at the Festival of, of Apollo. And we, you know, shouted uh, our... We memorized the whole play without even a text. The playwright just said it to, it, said it to us once, and we knew it. I do think one thing that's interesting about the current round of it is that usually these sorts of panics say that the new art is deviant and, like, sexually perverse. I mean, this the, is pretty deviant and sexually perverse, this podcast. Isn't I've ranted. <laughs> but the, the, the complaint that the new art is just mediocre is a relatively novel twist on it, I because think. Because pretty soon, like, you know, man-merman unions are going to be pe- petitioning for state-sanctioned marriage, and then all of a sudden, you know... Uh, people are marrying fish, you know? It's a slippery slope, everybody. I will well, say this. People don't, slippery... oh, <laughs> people don't wear... People shouldn't wear white wedding dresses anymore, but they sure do have white iPods, right? Design is the new virginity, right? Like, <laughs> perversity, perversity and sloppiness has become a, an issue of industrial manufacture and, like, artistic design, and less an issue of where you put your genitals. Although that's just for probably our own sort of urbane and bourgeois, like... I probably didn't use the word urbane correct. Never mind. You mean urban? I don't mean urban like ethnic urban, like the way people say it when they're trying to dog whistle you. I mean like living no, in the city. You mean like, you know, like, yeah, hipster. Yeah. You know, yeah. Let, me, let me ask a question. There was a talking seagull in The Little Mermaid, right? But yes, the, scuttle. The prince's dog does not talk, yes? That's, That's correct. correct. So you can, you can eat mammals only, but no, no fish, no fowl. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess the fish talk, the fish and the crustaceans. And in fact, the, uh, they have a hot crustacean band uh, yes. in, the little, in the, the Little Mermaid. But, like, um, I don't know. I wonder if there would be, like, a, a class system that, right, that, like, develops with, with you know, subaltern groups of, of non-anthropomorphic uh, sea creatures versus the anthropomorphic sea creatures, right? Like, mer- mermen is, like, a privileged caste. Mermen and merwomen, mermaids. I mean, and hey, like, by the way, that's patriarchal, right? Because, like, are they, do, when they, when they consummate uh, a relationship, are they no longer mermaids? I mean, are they like mer whores or something like that, right? Like, because oh, Jesus we're, Christ. Uh, well, right. Wow. That's what I'm, you know, that's what I'm saying. The whole thing <laughs> recapitulates a really retrograde uh, gender politics that I think we should be agitating against. Right? We should also like, be really concerned about the fact that 1% of the mermen and mermaids control 99% of the gidgets and gasmos. Gidgets. <laughs> right, right. You, you, what you need is Ani DeFranco, righteous merbabe, to like, set this all straight, right? She literally has like, like so many thingamabobs. She's got 20 thingamabobs that are just sitting around doing nothing. Right. There's a thingamabob bubble, literally a bubble because they're underwater. Right. She needs to be investing those thingamabobs, right? In like. <laughs> Hot why, new industries. Why aren't the thingamabobs trickling down, right? To the rest here's of the, the thing: <laughs> you need to collect all the thingamabobs and chop them up into very small pieces, and then you need to spread the thingamabob pieces among a variety of different love-struck mergirls, and then have each of them sell their voices to a witch. You then chop up the voices into small pieces, and you sell those right. to pension funds. Now, yeah. uh, <laughs> you sell like the top five notes that any of those voices are capable. Of <laughs> right, exactly. Conglomerate, and that's how you get auto tune. <laughs> it's yeah, auto tune is is actually like a collateralized song obligation. That, <laughs> 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 you, 
You know what I mean? And like for every for every well auto tuned song, right? There are a bunch of of crappy songs, but that's okay because they can be uh, they can be pulled together, chopped up, and tranched into you know a, into a triple A related triple uh, A rated like song security, right? Yeah. And that's how Katy Perry stays in business, right? Hey, can I jump back to our other main awesome topic for a second? <laughs> <laughs> so, we we three, Heart of the Tiger? Yes. Uh, yes, exactly. So in Wendy, Wendy and McKellen, no, not even, <laughs> Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell. Not the, other, the other Scotsman with the white hair. No. Uh, so I wanted to posit Snapchat. Like so, because it's because there are. I feel like uh, when we're talking about, it's not okay to be messy or to be ugly or to be wrong in in technological tools. I do think that there is a kind of a stultifying effect, a chilling effect, a chilling effect, more than stultifying effect, a chilling effect. Some of these interfaces have, and some of these tools have on like what product you eventually produce. But it does seem like there all are alternative. Uh, platforms that are in wide use that that don't hold you to a similar sort of standard, uh, and I would posit that Snapchat and Vine are probably similar in those ways. Like I see many more sort of sloppy, fun things on Snap. That's not when I say I see. A sloppy, <laughs> it's not, it's right, not but that's the. I mean, right? Like that's that's the thing, right? I think our our idea of image production has been so colonized by the kind of ubiquitous. Uh, uh, commercial image production around us that like Snapchat, if you think like, if you think about Snapchat, like, uh, or the whole like sexting phenomenon. Uh, Snap just for sexting. Well, I, no, I'm sorry. No one can convince me that sna- that like Snapchat is not just for sexting. You know, like, yeah. like well, mean, what's your Snapchat? I'll send you a Snapchat right now. Like, oh, no, 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 don't do no, that. No. No, it's not no. going to be my penis. It's going to be up, upside down. I have an upside down jar of, of peanuts, an empty jar of peanuts upside down that my webcam sits on for the Breaking Bad recaps, and I can take a Snapchat up and send it to you. You're going to send us a picture of your peanuts? <laughs> wow. Have you guys – you guys remember Fear of a Black Hat and the song My uh, – never mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, right. That that like um, I, I I just think that like this whole even even this thing actually. I mean, take 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 out the. I mean, can we just like bracket some of the uh, some of the problems with with the whole sexing phenomenon? Like you know, becoming uh, uh, becoming producers of of illicit child pornography or something like that. Like the little Let's things just like not that. Deal with the child pornography for a second. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But like, you know, I don't know the, the idea, I think the idea of like the, the technology becoming involved in, in, you know, I don't know, crazy, crazy things that are sort of ungovernable, like, like people's sex lives or they're making crazy photos of weird shit that they're doing. Ooh, oops, chili pepper. Um, that I think I think that that's great, but I think that our our idea of the, I think our the culture's idea of like image production ha, is more like hey how closely can I reproduce uh, you know commercial the commercial image production whether it's like you know I don't know commercial pictures of food and suddenly I'm Instagramming pictures of food and like adjusting the contrast and putting a filter on it so that it looks not like an image I would have created but like you know I don't know an image that that could have flown 
flown out of like a that could have flown and and not not like with wings but you know uh as in flowing right as in to flow uh out of a you know i don't know the production pipeline of a of a professional photographer with That's you know true. years Although, of experience i think i think like um i think instagram is a great example of the garage bandization that yeah, you're that's talking a, about that, earlier, i mean that's it's a, basically that, I, yeah, that's what it, I'm saying. It makes it, it makes it, it's a one-click solution to what's supposed to be an artistic process. Um, and and so like our our like Snapchatting, which I'm sorry is is just sexting, right? Like, uh, is you know, <laughs> it's not. It's not. <laughs> is like you know recom- recapitulating the mainstream pornography, which is sexist and which is uh, racist and which has all kinds of problems with heteronormativity and and ver- various dimensions of of oppressions and 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 things like this. I don't know. Like uh, maybe there will be like a strong misreader of Snapchat who comes down. You know who comes down the uh who come down comes down the pipe but um for for three seconds we'll all get it (laughs) we'll all get it for three seconds oh man we were saying uh, um uh oh is this can i also take issue with the word solution i hate hate the word solution when it's applied to a product of any kind, like I mean, because it, uh, so when somebody says that the thing that they're doing is a solution, they're saying that the thing that it is addressing is a problem, right? Right. And so, like, if you have an image solution, that means you have an image problem, uh-huh. right? It means that all of the images you're producing are problems, and maybe they aren't all. Maybe your photographs aren't problems. Maybe your photographs are beautiful things, and you just want some some more power to deal with them, or you want to change them. You want more more tools, I guess, or whatever you want. Like, you want implements, you know, whatever. I don't know what uh-huh. word would would be used. But for, I, I but mean, like, I think it is. I think it is a problem in the in the in the sense of like problems in the logic of late capitalism, where where late capitalism produces well yeah it produces not exactly inefficiencies but it produces um uh well problems right like and and the answer is another product right the answer is another app right like your your app there's an app to solve your app problem right like there's a uh there's a website to solve your compulsive web browsing problem right like there's a social network to solve your your facebook problem and the you know the fact that it's uh Oh, I don't know. The fact that it's just a, a, a worm or a boros all the way down, right? Like, is not, um, you know, doesn't obtain, right? Yeah. Like, it's it, the, the same way that, like, I don't know, the, the, the problem of factory farming of animals produces, like, a bunch of diseased manure and so creates, like, great new, uh, great new economic opportunities and, like, irradiating manure, which will, you know, create cancer for everybody, which will create yeah. great new medical uh, advances. And th- right, like things like that. Um, you know, I don't know. Basically, uh, I, I guess I'm saying there's no way out. I mean, right? Like this is like the mer wire or something like that. Where it's, <laughs> you know, you know. you've got to keep the devil under the sea, is what you're saying. <laughs> wow, just just wow in every possible way. <laughs> uh, well. Um, I can't think of, of anywhere to go from there, so maybe it's time to just edit. Uh, if you would like to uh, to join the conversation, hey, next week, um, 
we're going to do another anniversary episode, though perhaps better, better organized, uh, perhaps slightly great. better. We should always do anniversary episodes. <laughs> this is only I- when there aren't Riddick movies. So we have ten years to do anniversary <laughs> episodes before the next Riddick movie comes out. Uh, this is yeah. I don't know. Like uh, I want to say thank you to the to the four of you who are who are with me on the podcast today. To every overthinker and every podcaster, and to everyone who's ever listened to uh, an Overthinking It podcast and made, made it possible for us to do um, this this thing. I don't know about you guys, but like just as a body of work that that a collective has contributed to and that we can all, to a certain extent, take credit for, like I, I feel like I've never been prouder of anything than I am of, uh, of Overthinking It. And I, I'll probably continue to feel that way until I have a child or something, right? Like... Uh, no, let's be honest. Your child will disappoint you pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. oh, that is hey, dark. <laughs> <laughs> At no point have, have you ever tried to clean the caked fecal matter off of overthinking it, only to have overthinking it burst new forth with a new fecal matter right into your face. <laughs> I beg to differ, sir. <laughs> Jordan, that is, that is my right. child's fecal matter. Yes. Every, everything my child makes is precious, Jordan. That, uh, you know, how dare, how dare you imply that my child's fecal matter is not, uh, you know, mana from the gods. Um, I'm going to Snapchat it. <laughs> that's what I'm gonna do. You see, that's all it's for. That's all it's for. Um, oh. <laughs> wow. May as well be called Scatchat. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Hey, I think we have a, I think we have a solution. <laughs> um, so so thank you thank you very much for making this uh, making this possible by by listening to it. Um, hey, if you have anything you'd like to say, I you know I don't know this this might be hopelessly self indulgent, but I mean hey, what the hell are we doing here anyway? Um, but if you'd like to send us a message for the uh, for the the fifth anniversary we're going to do a, a separate uh little uh segment a small segment uh that we're going to release as a podcast supplement of listener feedback um uh, specifically around the fifth anniversary. So if you have a fifth anniversary message that you would like to share uh, with the with the Overthinking It crew, uh, you can send it to us through any of the channels, and uh, you have a week to do that. You have until uh, the next recording of the, uh, of the Overthinking It podcast to do that. So you can do that by emailing podcast at overthinkingit.com, uh, by calling or texting uh, 203-285-6401. That's 203-285-6401 by by phone or text, uh, or you can join the conversation about, uh, I don't even know about what, about Wing Commander 3, about the political economy of King Triton's uh, uh, <laughs> monarchy. Um, Ooh, about- tonight there's a really special 15 minutes late episode of Low Winter Sun that you can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, about uh, you know, I don't know um, uh, the garage bandization about the uh, of everything about the Little Mermaid about how we are getting old and want these uh, want these damn kids to get off of our lawn. 
you know, and all that. We are um, uh, very soon. We'll be starting the Ender's Game book club. So you can, uh, if you look for it on Overthinking It, you'll find episode zero, the stage setting episode for that. And uh, we're going to be releasing episode one of that, covering chapters one through six soon. Uh, that's hosted by me and featuring Ben Adams, who is the world's foremost authority on Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game. Um, you can uh, watch the, the uh, watch live streaming the last couple episodes of um, uh, of Pete's recaps. Uh, Pete is hosting recaps along with a, a team of overthinkers, soon to include me, of the last few episodes of Breaking Bad. Uh, excited for the last two, Pete? Yes. <laughs> I'm beyond excited. At this point, everything else that happens during the week is basically filler before Breaking Bad. So uh, it's it's amazing. So I'm really excited. This is a special moment that's happening. And uh, Jeff Daniels is ridiculous for winning the Emmy instead of Brian Cranston. But I guess that was for last season. It so. was for yeah. It was even for, even I mean, he feels guilty about that. I think so. Don't They'll, don't blame Daniels. You know. <laughs> I like Jeff Daniels as an actor. Do you feel like uh, he had an obligation right? to go into every episode of the newsroom being like, I better throw this performance or else those yahoos in the Academy might give me the Emmy this year. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I guess you make a good point. The the problem with the problem with the newsroom is is not an acting problem, I suppose. But let's uh let's save that for another time. Um, another time on what? Oh, the Overthinking It podcast. But till the next one, you can find us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it, it doesn't observe. Under the sea. Under the sea. <laughs> Hey, Pete, can you help me out with the Wing Commander 3 dramatic reading? Um, a dramatic reading from Wing Commander 3. Okay, I'll play the role of Paladin, otherwise known as John Rice Davies. I will play the role of Blair, although I always named my Wing Commander pilot Dark Edge, so we'll say he's Dark Edge. <laughs> okay, this is, uh, imagine John Rice Davies observing the wreckage of the Terran Confederation carrier Concordia. May they rest in peace. Peace? Have we ever known anything like that, Paladin? Not for a long time, laddie. Bad dates. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs>